I didn't have the strength within me to do it. I was just too deep in the eating disorder. Like I needed that 24 seven care. Like I needed the nurses and I needed that support to get to a dinner table and you don't know, like lift the fork, you know, like things that have become so alien to me. But up until that point, like I couldn't imagine doing. Right in. Um, I want to I want to ask you how you would describe an eating disorder because there is um, men and women listening to this who have never experienced it or if, known anybody to actually yeah. have dealt with an eating disorder. So how would you describe what that feels like having gone through it? I think for me, I describe it like a person being split in two. So for me, it's like there's me who's healthy, who's perfect, there's Jas, and then there's the side of me that's the eating disorder where I make choices that I think now that I'm more into a path of recovery that I can see aren't helpful but at the time when you're deep within the or like the eating disorder they feel quite normal they they help in a way it's it is very much about control and having that one thing within your life that's very predictable and having I suppose being on top of that like no one else can be on top of it you know like in anyone's life food is the one constant and I think that's how I describe it for me and I think and then with certain behaviors and stuff they just add into the eating disorder they help that sort of they kind of for me it grounded me within the world when I felt like I wasn't safe when things just felt a bit like spiraling a bit crazy you know like I just couldn't feel safe I suppose that's how I'd describe it if you get what I mean yeah so yeah so the word control so do you feel like you latched on to the eating disorder as a way of controlling your environment as a kind of like a safety net that you could always kind of hold on to and go back to yeah exactly yeah and I think I suppose a good example of that is because I was in treatment this time last year and when I came out of treatment my life very much felt like it was out of control I had an experience expectations to come out of hospital and things would be as they were before I went in but obviously everyone else moved on with their lives and I came out and I expected things to go a certain way and that's not what happened so at that point I just clutched straight back onto the eating disorder which completely defeated the whole point of having been in treatment anyway but I just didn't know any other way to cope with it and that's what I would have leaned on in the past with things like when like changing schools so that transition from leaving cert to college or in my final year of college there was the whole because I had done a series of add-ons so we expected to do an add-on to a level four and that didn't happen and that was the point where my eating disorder just completely went out of control because I didn't know what was happening within my life like I didn't know what the next level was like I thought like I was going ahead in college in September and that's not what happened so that's where my eating disorder would be set off a lot like even with lockdown, yeah. not knowing what was going to happen, that set things off a lot as well, you know. And so, um, so with people who have developed eating disorders, you know, like yourself, is there, do you trace back to a certain moment where this all started? And then it's kind of like, what it sounds like to me that you're saying is that there's consistent events, well, not, well, inconsistent events that kind of, kind of encourage it or kind of yeah. you know really kind of um you know excel the, the eating yeah. disorder yeah I think like for me to look back on it I would see a whole 
I think of it as like a recipe for disaster. There was various things that just kept adding up on top of each other. And this is where it eventually led to like when I was younger. So when I was in, I would have been second year, third year in secondary school. So it was about 14, 15, like I was bullied quite badly. And then from that, I developed anxiety, which then led on to going further within school and not feeling comfortable, not feeling, you know, like, um, how would you describe it? That, you know, it just didn't relate to anyone else. Like I just couldn't function because of the anxiety, which I didn't know what it was at the time. And then when it came to moving on to, to college, like I started getting more wary around food and I, in my head, I could see that that was something that nobody else could interfere with. It was just for me. And as time went on, it just, it added and added and added to the point where I think with eating disorders, there's a perception that you look a certain way, but my eating disorder was simmering there in the background for many years before it became very visible to those around me if you get what I mean so like it was always just floating there but it was never enough for people to be concerned Mm. so you don't so you didn't always associate your eating disorder or or maybe never with how you looked or that was never a starting point for you no that was never that was never the the set point for it I think as time went on it definitely did but Mm. from the gecko it was never that it was just something that I could I could have that nobody else could have nobody else could interfere with it was just mine and that was it and it was me and food and me and exercise and that was you know that was it like it was my one thing yeah and then so you're saying that when before kind of it was visible to people around you say or was it was more um you know kind of they were more aware of your eating disorder but you had known it that it was in the background all along or for a long time prior to that what kind of things behaviors did you see that changed in yourself at that time to try and kind of gain control yeah for me I became very picky around um just uh, various things I was eating so that became very limited very fast you know like I went from being Mm. quite a, a good solid appetite and being very strict about what I was eating and I think that's where it was picked up on by family and like things with being excessive around exercise you know having a Fitbit being excessive about that there was just all these things that I just started jumping onto as a means of control around then it became very much not to go into weight because I don't think that's important to talk about but towards the end it became very much about controlling that number but up to that point it was just all these little behaviors that was making me feel safe within it so if I did these things I knew it was good at the end of the day that I had done x y and z my eating disorder was so happy with me and like I was going to bed wrecked but in my head my eating disorder was happy as opposed to a day where if I didn't fulfill what the eating disorder wanted I'd be going to bed thinking I haven't done this I haven't done that and it became a very stress type thing where I knew that wasn't right so that was how I picked up on that I knew something wasn't very healthy if you get what I mean yeah yeah definitely and so how how long are we talking are we talking four years five years how long has this been you've been experiencing this um in total I would say 11 years and then five years before everyone around me started to realize and before it it got worse in the last five years but before that it was just I think it was um what they had said to me was I was a functioning anorexic so I was functioning quite well in life it wasn't interfering until up to five years ago when it did start to interfere it became 
you know, it was too much for my body to withstand and it was too much for me. It was stressing me out and it was, you know, it was impacting my mood. It was increasing the anxiety, which I had initially it was helping with. So it became more and more. Yeah. And um, the turning point, so there's obviously a turning point there, but I'm sure there was some low kind of moments in that span of 11 years you know whether you're functioning or not functioning anorexic can you talk about those low moments and maybe people that are listening might be able to relate to you know some some really low moments that maybe at the time you you felt you should get on with it or you felt you tried to cope with it but looking back it was like a huge warning sign for you yeah I think a big thing for me was being in college and not wanting to go out with my friends because I didn't want to have to deal with like things like alcohol and things like that or you know like the post night out at Supermax you know everyone goes around to Supermax they get their takeaway <laughs> so like I was avoiding all of this fun experience at college because I didn't necessarily I didn't want to have to deal with that because that come you know like it's Irish night out everyone you know Supermax is like <laughs> you know that's the way you're going to end up and I just I went out of my way to avoid that I went out of my way to avoid birthday meals with my friends just things like that you know like fun things things now that I crave to do and like we can't because of restrictions and stuff but at the time and looking back and then as well with the added pressure of social media I was missing out on all of these things and then seeing it on like snapchat and stuff and then I'm sitting at home berating myself because I'm not there but on the one hand had I gone I would have been upset at myself because I'd have gone and had the meal so like there's little things like that missing out on things with my friends just not doing things because food was going to be you know it was going to be a thing that was going to be there and even like because I would have blogged throughout the years I avoided going to events and stuff because of the food aspect of being there and things like that you know it interfered and ruined so many amazing opportunities I had and so many good times I would have had with my friends just for nothing really when I look back on it and it's it is really depressing to think about it now how much I've missed out on because of it but going forward in my life I'm very much a I'm making sure I do everything now living life to the fullest type thing yeah and so you were kind of avoiding any social situations with food it wasn't a case of you would go and you would resist temptation yeah you know being a functioning anorexic but it was it was more a case of you know you would resist you would just not go completely yeah like a handful of times that I would have gone say to someone's I suppose around the time when this all kicked off like 18th you know people's 18th and there'd be like there'd be so much food and there'd be so much alcohol like I would pick and choose who I was going to for how it would make them feel so depending on how close to them I was so I wouldn't upset like my closest friends by not going to their birthday because I was afraid to eat birthday cake and like even like on my own birthdays like I literally I couldn't tell you the last time I properly celebrated my birthday just because of like food and stuff like it's really when you think about it it's really heartbreaking but at the time it makes sense to you to avoid all these situations yeah and what at the time you know when you're saying no I can't go again no I, I I have this or you're using whatever excuse to say that you can't go what what kind of reaction are you getting at your friends and family are they too busy to kind of even put the puzzle pieces together you know because you're still functioning and are they like oh maybe she's shy you know yeah what I think a lot of, of it, 
boiled down to so you know like you'd make um I used to make a lot of plans with my friends to go out for coffee and stuff and then the day would come and I was like no that's not gonna happen I was like I can't like deal with whatever there and I'd text and be like oh sorry I'm not feeling really well I can't go and I think a lot of it they boil down to anxiety but really it was just a way of avoiding dealing with food and things like that so they put up with it like I'm very blessed with my friends that none of them have been like well I'm not putting up with her anymore like she cancelled mm. this that and the other like they I think they recognized something was wrong but they didn't know what it was so they kind of blew it off as stress you know like she's anxiety she's a bit shy she's a bit quiet like we'll just whatever there was never not said to my face anyway but there was never anything said really <laughs> yeah well that's that's good and your parents and your you know brothers or sisters were they all understanding or was it something that you spoke about openly within the family or was it still kind of very you know kind of like the elephant in the room almost I think it was until I sought treatment so that was five years ago it was very much the elephant in the room it was never really brought up it was my mum who started saying it after a friend had gone to her and then it kind of just escalated from there and it was kind of from hearing what my mum was saying that led me go that led to me going to my GP like so that was where it all kicked off there so it was just that one friend who had paid enough attention who went to my mum who then said something to me who kind of made me reflect which is where it led to me getting treatment and what was that like going to, deciding to go or even debating talking about going to the GP what was that like oh it was horrible it was absolutely horrible like I think back on it now and I'm like how did I do that like I just I don't know because I remember at the time you didn't have to book to go into your GP you just walked in so mm. I walked in and I sat there it was after Christmas it was the first Monday they were reopened like I remember it so clear and I went in there and I sat there for so long and I was like hemming and hawing over what I was going to say because I was like like what do I say I was like because in my mind I had I suppose the stereotypical view to me of how someone with an eating disorder looked and I was like oh I don't fit that criteria I was like I'm fine like it's nothing to be worried about it's just like stress and I got in there and I spoke to my GP and my GP is fabulous like she there was no messing around with her she was straight off she referred me on to the mental health clinic but I went in and I said to her I was like you know I think something's not right I said my mum's saying this my friends have said that I was like maybe they're right I was like I feel a bit stressed I was like maybe it's worth talking to someone about this I says I'm not sure what's going on so mm. from there she referred me on like there was no sitting around with it like she was very you know she was like she did her job like she was amazing and she has done since that day but it is really hard to do that and a lot of people don't know how to do that because they don't know what to say even me like I didn't know what to say and sometimes I think about it and I'm like if that was to happen now what even would I say it's very very complicated and I think if people have family behind them someone who can go with them to the GP and perhaps just sit there beside them and speak and say what they're seeing I think that could help in a way if they don't feel strong enough to voice it themselves if they're looking for help but for yeah. me that was how I did it and so this initial outreach to get help um you know was kind of primarily it wasn't you know your own doing you were you you had a little bit of a push from from close people around yeah. you yeah. were you going into that saying 
I don't know if I can do this. Like even as you, you went and spoke to somebody in a mental health clinic and you were, were you thinking in the back of your head, it'll be easier if I just pull out now? Yeah, because in my head, I thought there was nothing wrong. Like I didn't think, I kind of thought they were reading too much into it. Like I didn't think it needed to escalate to the point where I needed to go to my GP or needed to go to the mental health clinic. But so you're only, still in denial at this point, even though you're getting help. Massively in denial. And on the one side of me, I think as well, it goes back to that, how I see the eating disorder. There's the one side of me that was me that was like, okay, well, yeah, no, there, like maybe there is something here. Like it's, it's worth just looking into and making sure everything's all right. But then there's the side of me that is the eating disorder and is like, no, like you're fine. Like they're just reading too much into it. Like just carry on as you are. Like it's okay. And I think it's trying to quiet down that side of your head and listen to the healthy part of your head and know that that point that that part of you is just trying to manipulate you into staying ill and I think Mm. that part of me was very very loud at that time and just couldn't allow me to even engage in treatment because when I had started engaging in treatment I was still very much within my eating disorder and things went downhill very very fast and I thought oh I'm fine like I'm I'm in with a therapist I'm seeing a psychiatrist is like I'm okay like it's fine and like it really really was not fine I was so massively in denial despite having pursued treatment at that point in time so yeah it's all very (laughs) it's yeah it's a very very tough step and when you say you know you weren't fine what do you mean do you mean you were up all night thinking about all the things that you hadn't done or that you were you had to do or were you just so tired and fatigued or were you just overcome with anxiety or what what kind of things did you could you could were you saying god I just can't I can't cope with this anymore yeah a massive part was because I was in college so it was getting up you know the seven o'clock morning to commute over and not being home till seven I just didn't have the energy to do it because I didn't have the fuel to get me through that day so I started missing loads of college and I had a lecture at the time and she got on to me after I missed some time and she was like, Jess, like, is everything okay? You haven't been here in a while. So it was interfering with that. I just didn't have the energy for it. I didn't have the energy for studying. And that was stressing me out because I was in, like, I was in what would become my final year. And then just having to go to college and be around the canteen, the cafeteria, the trips to Costa, those, you know, the normal things that you're doing when you're in college that are fun. Yeah. Like, to me they weren't fun they were very much the enemy that I had to avoid it was it was um it was a very tough time those last few months in college like and because I started becoming so unwell when it came to repeating an exam like I didn't have it in me to study for the exam and it became a thing where I had to repeat that exam six times because I just did not have the mental capacity to repeat that exam and graduated after two years later than everyone else in my year like so it took like the eating sort of took a lot away from me but you know there was just so much difficulties with it but I think a lot of people would see someone with an eating disorder and think oh they're quite perfectionist they're really studious like they do quite well in exams but for me that wasn't it I just I didn't have the calories there and I just couldn't focus and things like that so it became very very difficult where college was concerned and because I was yeah. working as well on the side like so I was just I was burning the candle at both ends was trying to deal with this and telling myself no no it's fine it's fine like it just it wasn't like I was completely burning out and 
when you so for anybody listening that might be thinking oh this girl you know she's gone through something similar to me or a mother or a daughter or a friend or a sister or a son or you know anybody yeah so when you go and get in Ireland you know I mean we're talking about Ireland specifically here um you go in you get treatment you speak to your GP your GP was wonderful yeah. unfortunately some of us don't feel as comfortable with with our GPs and and you know that's that's okay too yeah what what's the next step after that in Ireland for for treatment do you go to the GP check if you're underweight and they said oh you know do they listen to more what you said or do they look at your vitals and and your weight and things like that and kind of say yeah everything is way off here you know you're yeah. you're lacking yeah just to com- I suppose to compare my route with what I would consider the traditional route from having spoke to others so for me I went to the GP my GP was fabulous like she's been my GP since my early teens so like I had quite a good relationship with her anyway and she didn't she didn't weigh me she didn't do my blood she didn't do anything like that she was like straight off the referral was sent to the mental health center here where I live and I was waiting I'd say only six weeks. So at that time, that was five years ago, so 2015. So I was quite fortunate in that sense that I wasn't waiting a long time. And then I saw the psychiatrist and he weighed me. So that was the first time I was weighed. And from there, initially he was like, you're not, he he, he said to me and he said to my mom, he's like, oh, we don't think it's an eating disorder. We think she's fine. And I was like, okay, so that kind of, for the eating disorder part of me that was like a yeah like here we go like this is fine and that um, was a psychiatrist that's that was that a psychiatrist yeah he was a locum psychiatrist at the time and he said to me and my mother he was like no we don't think it's an eating disorder like she's fine and so I kind of thought after that appointment oh that's it like you know there's nothing more here and then a few weeks after I got a letter to um go see a counselor within that same clinic and it's the same counselor I'm with now so I've been seeing him for five years and he was going to offer CBTE, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Extended. So it's specifically for eating disorders. So at the time, me and my mum were quite confused because the psychiatrist had said, oh, well, there's nothing wrong here. But then the counsellor was offering the eating disorder treatment. So that was that was what happened there. But I know for some people that I do know from having met them in treatment that they became very underweight which led their families bringing them to the GP where the GP weighed them, checked their bloods and all of that. And things were a bit iffy, like they weren't the picture of health. And that was how their route began into treatment. Whereas mine wasn't like that. Do you know, like my bloods have always been very fine. I don't really, you know, the only thing that's physically come up has been being quite underweight and then with my bone density. So I was diagnosed with osteoporosis and osteopenia. Other than that, like my bloods were fine. So I don't think bloods are usually a good marker of the severity of an eating disorder. Things are happening underneath that go on, Jack. So at no point, you know, did they, so did the psychiatrist weigh you and say that you were, didn't have an eating disorder or yeah, was that he, just a conversation? Me. Yeah. So at that, that point he had weighed me and I was still like, I was a relatively healthy weight. I'd lost weight at that point, but I was still within what, they used the BMI, so the body mass index. And I was still like, I was good under their scale, but that was where he was like, no, no, it's fine. Like she's okay. And which mm. I think is a huge, huge fault in how eating disorders are approached. Like if you look at um, the diagnostic criteria for it now, weight isn't actually brought into it, but at the time it was. 
and um, there's different levels of eating disorders so there's anorexia there's atypical anorexia then you have your bulimia your ednos like there, there's quite a lot to it and at that time i think he was just looking at these things that he had to tick off on his mm. list which i think was a problem because i think i was starting to spiral quite low into that depth of becoming dangerously unwell physically and he kind of brushed it off and I think for me that was ammunition at the time for my eating disorder because it was like well that's great like like we're fine here it's okay like we can continue doing what we're doing and I think that was quite toxic for me Mm. you probably walked out of that appointment and be and you know your eating disorder was like yes we won yeah yeah exactly it was like yeah we're fine like we can keep playing here it's okay and that's not what I think like I have like I don't want to go into weight but like it is quite a huge factor so for someone in a high up position like that to tell someone with an eating disorder that their weight is fine or whatever like that's just a huge no-no like it's so so bad and it's so negligent like it's you know it's setting someone up for a fall and I think that's a huge problem in any in eating disorders and just how they're approached here you know there's there is that stereotype still there and I think it's a problem yeah that's a, a very interesting um, situation and to happen. It's kind of, it's very scary. So tell us, tell me about, because did you say you've been in treatment for a couple of years now? Yeah, so I've been, so I've done, there's different types of treatment you can do. So I did outpatient treatment and I was at that for two years and you know, like I was, I was floating along, like it was okay. Like my life wasn't amazing. I was still quite stuck in that eating disordered mindset. And, you know, I was very frozen in time from when I'd begun to become very unwell in 2015. And at that point I was referred to, um, check for a bone density scan because with eating disorders, you lose your period. So that's really bad for your bone density and things like that. So it was suggested by my counselor to do that. And I did that and I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. Like everything else is always fine. Like there's a drama queens. And we got the results back and my spine had osteoporosis in my lower spine and then osteopenia in my hips. So I was a massive risk for fracture. And it was at that point that I said to myself, I was like, I'm, I'm not okay. I was like, what I'm doing is not okay. I'm not treating my body properly. I says, I'm not getting adequate nutrition here. I was like, I'm destroying my body. And because I couldn't see it, it didn't phase me at the time you know like because I couldn't see my bone density but when I got those scan results I was like I've screwed mm-hmm. up I was like I've made a massive mistake here. I was like well, what on earth have I done I was like how do I get out of this I was like outpatient treatment isn't working I was like what am I supposed to do so I went to my counselor and I said to him I was like look the scans came back it's like my bones are this and he said Jess we're going to refer you for inpatient treatment He's like that's the next step like you'll have 24 7 care there and so that's what I did. And that was, I think that was 2017, maybe. And I was referred for an assessment there in John O'God's in Slorgan in Dublin. And they're a fantastic hospital. And I did the admission and the woman was like, you know, you need to come in. Like, you need to be admitted, like, ASAP. But because the hospital was a private hospital, I had to get funding from the HSE. And that was where a whole other hullabaloo of stress began because the HSE have criteria then that they judge off the severity of an eating disorder off of and I didn't fit that so they refused me for funding and so then I began 
this limbo of being in outpatient treatment, knowing I needed inpatient treatment because outpatient treatment just wasn't cutting it. It was like, you know, you're drowning and you're doing your best to keep above water, but it's just, it's not working. You're getting nowhere. You're still in the same spot. Yeah. So I got frustrated and I was like, I was like, wait, like, why? Like, I know people who've gotten funding and they're in similar positions to I am. I was like, why have I been refused when they've gotten it? So at that point, I got on to the Minister for Mental Health at the time, Jim Daly, and I emailed his office and they came back to me and they said what had been said at my local level about why it was refused. And I was like, I don't understand this. I was like, it makes no sense to me. I was like, how can you judge the severity of someone's psychiatric illness, which is a mental illness, off of their physical how they are you know to me it made no sense so to be honest I became their worst nightmare I knew what I needed so I just I kept at them I discovered that in Ireland the counties are divided into different CHOs so my CHO was CHO8 so I found out who was at the top of that who was basically the boss of the people over my community mental health center so I went to her and I was I sent her letters, I sent her everything, I requested all my files from the psych in my community and I just became their worst nightmare until eventually they turned around and they were like, yeah, you know, this girl, she she does need funding and that was it. That was how I ended up spending 14 weeks in inpatient. So it became quite a struggle. Mm. For me, for someone who was like, oh, I'm fine, to have to argue to other people saying, yeah, yeah, you're fine, but to know I wasn't fine, it was very, very stressful. It was a like it was massively draining to put up this fight saying I need this when one part of me was like I don't need it like it became very very difficult and I think it's unfair that they put people through that here because they don't have the public beds for eating disorders in Ireland unfortunately. And how how did you feel like you fought so hard to get into John of God's when it's such a serious step in your recovery how at any point I'm just I'm I'm always and I know that you know this aside from this conversation but I'm so impressed and just blown away by your how brave you are you know and (laughs) and that's that's just an outsider looking in because I don't know your story or you know you could say you know well it's to you it, it doesn't feel like brave to be brave it feels you know more of a necessity you know so how did you feel at that point where you were fighting and fighting and fighting for John of God's because you knew that was, did you know that it was the answer or did you actually want to walk in there the next day? Or was it a case of you didn't want to go in, but you knew that you needed to? I think the the funny thing is, is when I actually got to John of God's, I actually hadn't thought about being there because I've been so driven on this path of getting the funding that I actually hadn't allowed myself to actually think of the possibility of going in there yeah when I got there I was like oh my god what have I done I was like oh my god I need to go home I was like I can't because there's there's so many you're there's so many restrictions within the hospital so you you're basically you're not in charge of yourself anymore like you're not allowed outside until you gain all of these um perks you know and I sat there on that the hospital bed and I was like, oh my God, I absolutely, I have to go home. I was like, what the hell have I done? Do you know, like I hadn't thought about it till that day when I was sat on that bed and I was like, the reality hit me. I hadn't, because I didn't think it would happen. You know, I, the funding was refused the first time and I was like, what are the chances of it being like approved the second time? Like, you know, like in my head, I was like, it's not going to happen. 
but to me I was like it has to happen that's why I fought so hard for it so I was like I don't have I think the only way to describe it was I was going to my counseling sessions and I was like yeah yeah no I'll, I'll, I'll follow this meal plan when I get when I get home but then when I got home I just I didn't have the strength within me to do it I was just too deep in the eating disorder like I needed that 24 7 care like I needed the nurses and I needed that support to get to a dinner table and you know like lift a fork you know like things that have become so alien to me but up until that point like I couldn't imagine doing mm. and I, knew if I didn't if I to me so I went in April 2019 so to me last year I was like if I don't get in here I was like and I don't do this it was a really really like depressingly low moment to look back on but I was like if I don't get in here and I don't do this I was like then what else is there I was like I've tried outpatient treatment I was like there's there's no other way about it I was like this or I have no life I was like this, like this will kill me I was like I'm not gonna have a life so like I have to get this and that was what drove me so much forgetting it you know like so there was a lot going on there behind the scenes a lot mentally other than the eating disorder itself it was very much a, a life or death situation I think is the best way to describe it yeah and do you, are you comfortable talking about what it was like in there you know in a general like oh, um, yeah, yeah, perspective yeah. um I think you know the hospital was it was fabulous like I I didn't really know what to think before going in you know I didn't really have this was much expectations I had seen you know like I'd seen movies you know like or different tv shows so I kind of had like that (laughs) that kind of in my head I was like oh my god is that what it's going to be like but you know like it was actually it sounds terrible to describe it like a hotel but like the hospital itself does look like a hotel it doesn't look like a hospital like so when me and my mom approached it we were like are we in the right place because it wasn't anywhere (laughs) what we had thought it would have looked like and we got in there and you know the first day everyone was so lovely the nurses were they were so sweet my like my first weekend there I just I cried so much that I I think like I became dehydrated like I didn't think it was physically possible to cry that much like I was so terrified but the nurses they were just unreal and the other patients because obviously they had been there before me they were they were so welcoming and they were they were so kind and just hearing other people's stories and what had led them to getting there being so unwell you know it was just I made friends for life there that I wouldn't have if I hadn't gone there if you get what I mean like it just I couldn't have imagined it being as it was it was just it was it was very supportive and like if I hadn't gone there like it did like it helps give me back my life like without it I probably wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast with you like it's just it's crazy like I just I owe them so much for helping me get so well like they just they were unreal yeah and when you go in there are you in a routine like you have to like so this is this is the way I picture it but this is coming from an ignorant perspective but (laughs) are you go are you do you have to get up do you have to get up at a certain time and they do certain things with you and you go to do yeah different activities and and different treatments and you eat at a certain time and you have just does everybody because I mean eating disorders affect people in different ways as well yeah no that's it exactly and because I went in so John of God's they're they're a psych hospital so they treat various mental illnesses you know bipolar schizophrenia all of that sort of whack but because I was on the eating disorder program we had a set schedule so Monday morning eight o'clock you're getting weighed 
that's a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday. Then half eight every day, you're straight down for breakfast. Nine o'clock, you get your medication, you get your blood pressure, you get all those checks, and then you're going down to group. So on a Monday, we had goals. So we set our goals up for the week, and then we'd go to our next group. Um, then around, I think it was quarter to one, we'd have lunch. And then we'd do another group, and we'd do post-meals. So after your two main meals, we'd have post-meal support. So we'd go in and we'd chat about the meal and how we felt about it. And, you know, like if we were pissed off, if we were happy with it, you know, like if we were grand and then we'd go to our next group and then you kind of had like free time on the ward after dinner. So dinner was half five to six and then you do your post meal again. And then kind of like if you were allowed time off the ward, you were fine. You could go off down onto the grounds. There was a tennis court, there was beautiful grounds for walking and things like that if you had certain privileges you could go off out to Stillorgan and just go to Starbucks or whatever but every day was very regimented there were so many different groups we did art we did CBTE there as well we did a cooking group we did a shopping group you know they kept you very very busy and then weekends mm. would come around and you're not so busy and that was a whole other thing in itself but you know it was it it kept you very very busy so it was a shock to the system coming out of treatment and not having such structured days because it keeps it keeps you in check like all these meals and having someone tell you oh at three o'clock you know you have to have your snack or whatever so it is it's very very strict and structured right and then the 14 weeks it was that kind of a prescribed 14 weeks or was that just like okay now you're you feel like you can go so typically what happens is most inpatient treatment facilities is 12 weeks. So okay. it was recommended that I stayed for longer. So they actually wanted me to stay 16 weeks. But come around week 13, 14, I was like, no, I'm I'm really feeling like I'm okay to go home. I was like, I'm just, you know, at that point I had cabin fever. So I was like, no, like I just, I need to go. And um, so that was why I left at week 14. But typically it's week 12. But they they had judged that I needed an extra few weeks, which is, quite typical for John of Gods if they see people need extra weeks they'll recommend it whereas I know other facilities don't it's 12 weeks and that's it which was the great part about John of Gods because it was quite you know it was based on the person it wasn't just a formulated 12 weeks you know if they thought you needed it you needed it and if they thought you were doing really like really well and you're only on week nine they were like well we suggest you do day patient you know so they do they keep you they give you in the loop with your treatments you know it is very individualized which is really really good and yeah. I thought that was like a great part and like I definitely I knew around week 12 I was like oh had I not gotten because they had to apply for extra funding then I knew if I had stayed if I had gone home on that week 12 it would have been a bit iffy like so the extra two weeks did help give me that extra confidence for going home so I was I was happy about that, but not happy about it at the same time because no one wants yeah. to be there any longer, you know. But if if it's what they recommended, so I kind of we came to a compromise with fourteen weeks as opposed to sixteen. Yeah, and so now you're out, you know, over a year at this stage. How yeah, is the yeah, last a year tomorrow? Oh, it's a year tomorrow. Oh, yeah, year interesting. Tomorrow. I know. Very good. That's <laughs> you know, crazy. It doesn't feel like a year. I was thinking about it earlier. I was like oh my god it's like it's been such a whirlwind of a year it just it doesn't feel like it It feels like a few weeks ago it's it's surreal like yeah and so what has the last 12 months looked like I know with the lockdown and everything else has thrown you off but just in general how strong and confident do you feel about you know 
the last 12 months and, and the future as well? Um, I definitely, I feel like it's been an up and down kind of 12 months. I definitely, I came into treatment with the opinion that once I came out of treatment, I was cured. And that yeah. was stupid of me to think because of course that's not how it works. Like if you're going to come out of it or cured, everyone's going to go in there. Like, I, you know, it was very naive of me to think like, but um, I suppose I would put all my eggs in that basket because I had, you know, I had such a fight to get there. Mm. But um, over the last 12 months, it's been it's been up and down. Like there's there's this quote that I see and a lot of people say it to me. They're like, recovery, recovery isn't linear. So there there is its ups and downs. But I think when I think back to before I went into treatment, I think life is definitely much better than it was. You know, like this week alone, I think I went to Dublin I you know, went to Pogue, got on a Kaibol, and then went to Wagamama's after. And to me, even one of those things would have been terrifying a year and a half ago. So to be able to do that is a huge, huge achievement. And like, I feel very hopeful that I can kick this in the bud, that it's not going to be, you know, like the ball and chain that keeps me from living my life. So I think despite the ups and downs of the last year, which, you know, it, it'd be wrong of me to say, oh, yeah, it's been a great year because it doesn't work like that. And that's just giving people with eating disorders false yeah. hope. Like, you know, like it's not like all rainbows and sunshines. There is like it's very, very difficult thing to recover from. Like it's it is very, very hard. But I think had lockdown not happened when it did, I think that was kind of the the slap in the face I think things would have been much better like I think I would have kept continuing but because that came and I think for a normal person that was quite tough anyway you know like mm. regardless of whether you have previous experiences with mental illness or whatever it was really really tough so if you add in existing mental illness on top of that and think of how a normal person would have felt versus someone with whatever they have anyway it was it was really really difficult and I think that set me back a bit but now that we've come out of lockdown and stuff I think things are definitely much better like they've improved I've you know I've gotten rid of things that would have been very much eating disorder based you know like a scales and a Fitbit and things like that they're completely gone now they're not like they're not being entertained anymore so lockdown was good for reflection but it was also really really tricky and yeah it's just yeah I think for anyone, you know, like everyone struggled with it. And I don't think any amount of time and treatment or whatever would have prepared anyone for, you know, a worldwide pandemic. You know, like it's just it wasn't on anyone's radar. And I think <laughs> having the correct coping skills and being able to deal with that, I suppose it was a real test and a real challenge for what I'm able to deal with in life. And, you know, like being able to survive that, I think for everyone is a huge thing. So for me to say oh yeah you know I got through like something that was so terrifying to me and got out the other side you know like I can keep at this I can keep doing what I need to do I can go out and eat dinner with my friends drink champagne you know like all those fun things that I strived for when I was in a hospital because I have a journal with, like a load of little things on it where like this time last year goals for me were going to Pogue or you know like going to Happy Pair things like that and they're being ticked off so I think that's to me that's good I think that's yeah that's like you know like those little things so yeah I'm happy about so, that like yeah a lot of the time it takes writing down those little goals to actually go back like and see there's such such power in that like to go back and and see 
okay, like you don't feel like you've made much progress or you, you yeah. might feel like you're on the right track, but you go back and you look at those goals and you're like, oh my God, I, I really did take everything off. Yeah. And it feels, yeah. you know, now I feel like I know I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I would recommend that to anyone that like, even as someone who doesn't have an eating disorder to, you know, sit down and like once or twice a month, just journal a little and see what you want to achieve. Because I journaled the whole time I was in hospital. So I was setting my goals and the things that, you know, like in my wildest dreams, I'd love to be able to doing in like a year or so's time and to be able to look at that and go, actually, do you know what? I did that. Do you know, I've done that. Like I had a list of even places I want to travel and Copenhagen was on that. And I was like, wait, I've done that. Do you know, like it's amazing how much yeah. can if you put the work in, like you, you have to be working on your recovery. You can't take your eye off the ball. Like it's constant. You know, you're, yeah. you're constantly working on it. And I think that was where I struggled with when I came out of hospital because I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like, it's okay. I don't need to be so, like, regimented about this and stuff. And that's that's not the case. You know, like, you do need to keep keep your eye on the ball. You know, like, don't take your finger off the pulse. You know, they prescribe a meal plan and things like that for a reason because they help. That's the medication. So I think now that I know that and I had that bit of a, a fall, that I can just pick myself up and know what I need to do to keep going to keep staying healthy that kind of way yeah and um well, f- well first of all it's so- such an inspiration just to the realness of you talking about the last 12 months I can't believe it's tomorrow I was thinking that it was earlier in this year that it was your 12 month mark but that's really really interesting that it's it's tomorrow and like your honesty just about you know it's not a linear approach and you know it hasn't been easy but you're you set your goals and you're just maintaining them and to keep working in the right direction is just like so inspirational and and to somebody again to somebody looking inward to you it's like to me that sounds like the most the most you could have ever asked for despite the lockdown it's like it, it was never going to be oh you're cured you know once you, you finish yeah. treatment but you know you're obviously on the the right track the last question I wanted to ask you was um I suppose if anybody there this might catch attention of people who are you know concerned about somebody that's close to them that might have an eating disorder how would you do you have any advice to give them and um maybe I know you said your mom you know she had a conversation with you you had a close friend talk to your mom do you have any advice for anybody in that situation I think if it's your friend I think definitely say you know you don't seem yourself um you seem a bit stressed is everything okay I think it's important to not I think a lot of mistakes people make is they comment on the appearance and as someone with an eating disorder that's just it was like giving sugar to a child you know like they thrive off of that I think don't comment on the appearance I think go in with your concerns being like oh you seem a bit withdrawn you know like you're not really hanging out with us a bit more you know like just go in with how they've changed or be like oh you seem a bit you know you seem a bit picky about food like is everything okay there or you know you're going to the gym a lot like is is that all right like should you be doing it that much do you think maybe you should take a break and if they seem like a bit on the offensive about things like that definitely encourage them to go to their GP or to check out BodyWise if you get like um, a BodyWise leaflet or something like that get them onto that because BodyWise is fantastic they have so much great resources on there and they do like 
if a friend or a family member isn't quite comfortable with going to speak to someone in person, body-wise do an online chat where you can just talk and get support in that way and like a help like a really helpful environment. So that's a good first step. I think that's what I would recommend. And just for family okay. because they're around them the whole time. If it's someone under 18, um like if it's a daughter or son or something like that, you're in a position where you can bring them to the GP and be like, you know, I think something needs to be checked out here. You know, I think things aren't wrong. You know, if you have a gut instinct, go with it. Because you don't want to let these things go on for so long because I think with an eating disorder, because they're so behavioral based and you're doing these different actions and stuff, that the longer it goes on, the harder it is to break those actions. You know, like once you learn to cycle a bike, that's it, you know, you're cycling a bike. But if you're doing these behaviors and you're that you're yeah. doing like walking or whatever and that becomes so second nature to you that if that goes on for the guts of you know, like a year two years it's very very hard to break that so you like if it's a family member or a friend and these are sudden new changes that you're noticing get in there quick don't let it spiral out of control where it gets to a point where it's difficult to break those behaviors and because that's what they say they say early intervention is key and that's why it's because of those behaviors and because of those different things that you do within the eating disorder they become so hard to break you know like just it becomes ingrained in you at that point and I think I think that's hugely important yeah that's a interesting one not to go in with the physical appearance because it's like that's yeah. kind of what the eating disorder wants isn't it yeah tribes on it yeah yeah like if someone <laughs> said to me oh you don't look great I'd be like okay I'm like yeah that's okay you know, like, the, the, to me I was that didn't deter me you know I was like okay like whatever you know or yeah. someone say, oh like you seem really tired or like you know like just you look rubbish you know like in a negative aspect I was like oh okay right wait wait what you know that maybe kind there's of something wrong here yeah 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 I think going in in the other way especially if you're making comments about weight and things like that like the eating disorder loves that like that's just it's I don't think it's good and I think people might disagree with me on that but that's just what I've found and what I know from other people with eating disorders what they've said so I just I wouldn't approach it that way I'd approach it in a different way well thank you so much and congratulations on your 12 month mark it's an amazing amazing achievement and it's even though it probably doesn't feel like it because it's been such an up and down as you described bumpy road but it just is is insane to look back on I'm sure you're you're appreciative of all the journals that you kept and all the goals that you set and just kind of all those little tiny wins along the way because they now you're looking back and they you know they all add up yeah they do They, they become like even something so simple like going to Tesco now it's like oh my god like that's second nature to me now like and a year and a half ago it was terrifying you know little things like that they really help when you feel like oh like I'm not improving or I'm not recovering or I'm not getting any better like they really really help you know it just I think it helps you see it from a different perspective yeah well Jess I know that um you also share some content on Instagram so I definitely want to plug that in the description box um as well to to just direct people if they want to connect with you and you kind of provide a, a resource for people that might be going through something similar or just to, yeah, to really ro- raise awareness because that's again a huge part of what we're trying to do today and yeah, I know it's exactly. kind of part of your mission so um we appreciate all the the openness because it takes again it's 
you're so brave to be open and and honest about your whole experience because it, it just hasn't been easy and it's still it's still not easy for you so um you know you have to recognize that as well so really really appreciate that and, and appreciate your thank time you. coming on today to chat about everything thank you and thank you for inviting me on I was so chuffed I was like this is a great way now to hopefully raise some much needed awareness because I think you have such a great you know you have such a good platform and you know to see you be so interested in having me share this you know I was I was really really happy about that I was delighted so thank you for for that oh of course 